Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, Mark. Shall I say good afternoon now? My name is Jeanette Abney, and I'm coming on to Facebook Live as well as Blog Talk Radio as today's topic is entitled Protecting Our Children. And when I talk about protecting our children, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But I first want to thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me and waking me up this morning. I also want to thank my loyal listeners that have been listening to the show, and something just had me in my live video, and I don't know why, but I guess it don't want me to be on Facebook Live, but I'm going back on Facebook Live anyway because I'm hardy at it. So I want to thank my loyal listeners that have been listening and joining us here at Percy Predicament. Now, again, today's topic is protecting our children. Children depend on many adults as they grow up, parents, relatives, teachers, and child care workers. They also play a very valuable role in the lives of children as well as their outcomes. Children must be protected so that they can survive, they can grow, they can learn, and they can develop to their fullest potential. However, I don't know why they think you're picking me off. However, what happens is many children are not fully protected. They deal with many different obstacles in their everyday lives. Now, today's episode is designed to inform you of what these obstacles are that many children face, as well as how to protect them. I'm going to have a special guest on the air, but until then, let me start logging on individuals that are calling in. Hi, this is Jeanette. Welcome to Precious Predicaments, number ended in 7-8. How are you doing this afternoon? Number 7-8. Oh, yes, this is Rocky. Okay, Rocky, you are my special guest. I'm not going to tease you because I'm quite sure when you got, when you was a kid, they probably teased you with Rocky and Bullwinkle, and that's what I thought of when I first heard your voice. I was like, okay, Rocky. So how oh, yeah, are I got you? Rocky jokes <laughs> you, can you know what? That just came into my mind. It's crazy because we have not, we have not talked or spoken, but, um, Tell the listeners who you are by introducing yourself, and then we have another caller calling in. I'm going to log them on, too. So number ended in 2-1, just bear with me. I will get you on the air. So, Rocky, tell the listeners who you are and where you are coming from or calling from. My name is Rocky Singh Candola. I am a businessman calling from Los Angeles, California currently. Okay. All right, thank you. Rocky, let me log on the other caller, and then we're going to talk about why I asked you to be a guest on the show today. Hi, this is Jeanette, number ending in 2-1. How are you doing? I am well. How are you today, Ms. Jeanette? I am well. Okay, I know that voice. And no, I didn't do all of my sit-ups. Okay, I did the best I could. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so... When we start talking about protecting our children, you know, it's interesting because some individuals have children, some individuals are afraid to have children, and this is not to throw parents under the bus because a lot of parents do the best they can with what they know. And we start talking about, and I brought up that we need to protect them so that they can grow, learn to develop to their fullest potential, and basically develop survival skills. Now, Rocky, you brought up some interesting things when I met you on LinkedIn, and you talked about some things. What would you say in regards to protecting our children? Got it. So um, I guess I can kind of, like, rewind a little bit and tell you, like, when when I was a child specifically, um, and as you said, you know, parents do the best that they can do. And and as an adult, I realized that as as a child I was more, you know, just hurt and angry at the places that I was sent to. Um, my father was a you know well-respected physician, and my mother stayed at home, and I was one of the the kids that was you know in the in the gifted classes, and I was you know a, a bit of a, a back talker, and you know it wasn't the easiest to to deal with. So they started sending me off to these um, you know boot camps and, and children's schools, um, and these places that I actually encountered in my life were not. Um, they don't do anything to protect children, I guess. The the schools I did go to, they were, they had since been shut down and name changed due to allegations and lawsuits uh, pertaining to child abuse, uh, rape, torture, um, and, you know, all different kind of, you know, uh, things in that spectrum. 
Um, mm-hmm. The name of the program is called the Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs, and they have, you know, since then changed their name. They had facilities in Mexico, Jamaica, Samoa, Canada. They kept everything outside the borders of the U.S. so they can operate, you know, without having the laws of the of our country uh, placed on them. And um, the parents, uh, and many parents speak out about this now as well, were basically, you know, manipulated and lied to because uh, it was a corporation taking advantage of the fact that parents didn't know how to handle their children at that time. Um, and, you know, my, my story is pretty crazy, and, and, and even that being said, the, the children that were there with me, I feel like, have even crazier stories, and, and we have a Facebook group. We're all in touch together, but many of them don't feel comfortable, you know, even speaking about it to one another, much less um, anything public. Um, so, um, you know, without saying their names, I can also share part of their journey as well. Gotcha. And you know, it's interesting you said that because, I mean, growing up, and it sounds like you're in L.A. now. I don't know if you was born and raised in California when I was looking at your name, but the thing is, a lot of times we talk about protecting our children. We have what's called the child welfare system. Back then, I remember people used to say, my mother used to tell me she was going to send me to a boot camp, which it wasn't going to work, you know, or we would go to grandma's house or the auntie's house. And, and a lot of times we would send our children to certain places. You know, my mother would even threaten me to go to church. That didn't work either. But there was a lot of things happening I was talking to someone, and they were talking about even being raised in the South and how sometimes children being raised in the South, they they experience things. Now, when I started talking about what some of these children are dealing with and what we are protecting them from is that many children deal with violence. Many children deal with violence, abuse, neglect, exploitation, child abduction, and or discrimination, and they deal with this every day. And sometimes they have to learn how to how to survive, or they learn how to thrive. And interesting enough, some children make it while others don't. Now, Rocky, you sound like you've been through a lot, but you survived and you made it through, especially with what you went through. What were some of the things that helped you get through this based on your upbringing? That's a, that's a really good question as well. So, I mean, I, obviously I, I survived. I'm here, and, you know, I'm at the point now in my life where I, where I am thriving, but that didn't come with tons of scars emotionally, physically, and, you know, all of the above. Um, you know, like if I, I told you part of my story where after as an adult, you know, I went through, you know, tons of violence, uh, you know, prison, rehabs, um, almost getting my, my hand chopped off, my full jaw replaced, um, you know, multiple stabbings and, and shootings and things as well. Um, I think that the, the guiding factor and what really helped me, and you no, know, I hate to sound, you know, just too too spiritual or something for some people, but it honestly was. I, when I look back, I can I can recognize and realize that there there must have been a greater a greater force that was just really guiding me along, you know, a certain path that leading up until this moment, this day, this very talk right now, even. Um, my parents are are amazing people. They they definitely educated us, you know, from home, and they were very very strict on us to go to school. And a lot of you know what I have now is you know can definitely be attributed to the fact that I was you know required to to, to maintain a certain level of education and not just a curriculum based on a school schedule. Like my parents, my dad would make us read the encyclopedia from A to Z and then quiz us on every letter in the encyclopedia mm-hmm. and, you know teach languages and um we would uh you know the places i was sent to uh which you know i don't think that they meant to do it on purpose and possibly my dad's a smart man so he might have had this in mind all along but they were always you know i started off at 11 being sent to india and then from there to mexico and then to different places around the u.s and canada um so i had the ability and the opportunity in my opinion now to meet a very, very wide array of people and, and communities and cultures and types. And I think that that is the biggest thing that, that helps me navigate and learn and continue to thrive in life now is the fact that at a young age, I was exposed to all that. So um, it's, it's like, like I said before, like when I was going through it, it was definitely horrible. I was definitely, you know, a lot of tears, a lot of emotional heartache, a lot of 
trauma. Um, and, you know, still to this day, I deal with depression and, 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 you know, negative thoughts, you know, many times, but, um, when I really slow down and think about it, clearly I, I realized that, you know, I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go through those type of things as well. Yeah. And you know what? And, and the thing is we talk about this protection and I hear you talk about a covering. I hear you talk about a higher power and that is so, so true. And because the problem is many of us, when we talk about our children, children need love, they need support, and they need guidance. And what I found to finding out today is even as a therapist is a lot of parents struggle with love and even loving themselves, support. Sometimes there's a lack of resources and guidance. Sometimes parents just don't know what to do. I was talking to a person the other day, and I was talking about being a single parent. And I said, you know, and this is just Jeanette's the definition of this. When I was growing up, I heard a lot about single parenting, especially in the 70s. But you all, I also saw a lot of American women on welfare, even or they worked or they was trying to do whatever they had to do to survive to raise their children, and it wasn't a man in a home, so they would say single parenting. But then now you see a lot of men that are raising children on their own, and they coin themselves as single parents. And one of the things I was sharing with a, a person a, um, a couple of days ago was when we say that, a lot of times we are not single parenting. When Hillary Clinton or they were saying it takes a village to raise a child, you have way more than just one person parenting that child. But we get so caught up in that, well, I'm doing it by myself, or I'm a single parent. I'm a... Marky, what is your take on that? Because I think that that term, and it's not to minimize those that are out there struggling, and if it's just you and your child ain't got nobody but just you, you know, there are resources available. But what is your what is your take on that when people say, oh, I'm a single parent? Yeah, and so I, I like I like what you said a lot that it takes a push to raise a child, and um, and I think that you know speaking in what's going on in the, in the world today as well, I think that people don't realize how powerful our communities are, and how necessary they are. Um, I think that your surroundings and your environment will definitely. Influence. You know, they also say that you know you can tell a person in their in their direction in life by their five best friends and who they're going to be, uh, the five people closest to them basically. Uh, like for me in particular, I grew up in the South. You know, I was in, in Mississippi as a child, and my father, you know, was working most of the time. So my, you know, quote unquote community was, you know, the schools and the programs I attended after school. And um, at that age, you know, I, I had a, a decent amount of support. However, it was still in a time in Mississippi when, um, you know, which you know, pretty much still now, when, when race played a very big factor, and I was kind of looked at as you know one of two Indian families within our distances from there. Um, you know, so I kind of always at that age, especially was ashamed of who I was, was ashamed of being, you know, a brown kid. Um, and, you know, I, there's a lot of different, so many stories I could tell you that were, you know, now might seem insignificant, but to a child of any age, um, you know, would make impact on them and, 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 and their decisions they're making in the future. Um, but that being said as well, I had some amazing teachers that that weren't, you know, that didn't speak as just, you know, the different race kid. They saw me as the individual that I was, and and that's who when I look back, I actually can smile and say, you know, you know, Miss Penson, my third grade teacher, um, you know, my my ideas teacher, uh, Miss McElhenney, like they they really they really helped me thrive and helped me grow in an environment um, that you know might not have allowed me to so much. Um, and I think that like you know like again, it's it's really important that we don't focus on hey, it's just me, I'm the only person doing this because you know. Well, we're all human beings. We're all connected to that, that you know, that source of energy as well, I believe. And uh, once we try to cut ourselves off from that, we're, we're missing out on what I think is the bigger picture of life, and that's that connection and that love. Correct. And that's where I think a lot of individuals, when they say, I'm a single parent, and I look at them like, but you live with your mother, you have extended families, you got other people having an input in, on, in your child's life. But like I said, that that term, I just remember hearing a lot of about single parenting back in the 70s, you know, and watching those old movies my mother used to play and, you know, and the, the, the Bill Cosby movies with Sidney Poitier and, you know, Coletta, well, I can't think of the name of it, but it, it was just, I don't know, it was just always something that seemed just very negative to me. Now, when we're talking about just even with this and 
how we don't protect our children, things can happen. It can ruin their self-esteem. They can wind up in toxic relationships. Drugs and alcohol use can play a part. Mental health issues, legal problems, homelessness, employment issues, and human sex trafficking. You know, so there's a lot of things that we have to protect them from so that they don't fall into that slippery slope. You know, we have to protect them from secondhand smoke, from vaccination, from, you know, making sure they're getting a proper education. There's so much stuff. Now, caller calling in that keep making me do sit-ups. Anything you want to share? <laughs> call you the sit-up. <laughs> Good afternoon, Ms. Jeanette and Rocky. Um, good to uh, hear from you. Um, I like what Rocky said uh, as far as you can tell who a person is going to be by their five closest friends, the five people closest to them. Um, as far as protecting children or growing up in a single home, I did all of that. You know, I grew up in a single-parent home. And, you know, like you said, it's very true. Um, my mom didn't have to raise us alone. It, to her, it may have felt like she was alone, but we all had our friends that we hung out with. We had sports, and like Rocky, I had school as well, you know. Um, but without the guidance, I guess I would say, that is necessary in a child's life, I fell into all of those things, whether it be drugs, whether it be gangs, whether it be violence, whether it be homelessness, problems with employment. I didn't get sex trafficked, but, you know. Those things are all very true, and much like Rocky, it depends on one's resilience, you know, as a child, you know, when you're exposed to it and what your uh, mental plasticity is around the situation that you're put into, you know. No, everybody doesn't experience life the way that I have or the way Rocky have or even you. But how we deal with that, how we cope with that, what our support system is around that, are we going to be shamed because, oh, you were smoking weed in the bathroom, we can't be friends, or you were touched by so-and-so, so I got to stay away from you, or is, is our support network, is it understanding and inclusive, like, hey, that happened, but so what, we're going to get past that. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that that has a lot to do with how we develop and grow past our experiences. You know, and with you saying that, um, being a therapist, and you know I've been doing this for almost 20 years now, and it was just recently that I heard of what's called the ACE, which is the Adverse Childhood Experience. And it's right. 10 questions, and even with that, I'd never heard of that that testing tool before. And I scored like 8 out of 10. I said, Lord, I was molested, and... It was something else. It was somebody, I wasn't molested, and somebody in my immediate home wasn't in prison, or my mom or whatever. Those were the only two. All the other stuff I said, for real? I I didn't know. I really didn't know. So what happened is I thought that was normal, and here I am, a therapist with a master's degree, and I'm raising kids, and I know a lot of things I did with my son I probably shouldn't have did, and I was wrong for doing so if you hear me, I apologize. But by that same token, I noticed that parenting the way I was parented. So here, but my mother was very overprotective to some degree, but then yet she still exposed us to a lot of other things, not even realizing it. And when I would talk about right. my right, my mother would tell me, you got the right to get out of my face. You got the right. <laughs> exactly. I was right for My mom would right. give me a right and a left. Let me talk about rights. <laughs> Thank you. No, my mother would give you a right and a left. My mother pulled out a 38 on you. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like, you pull that 38 on me one more time, sister. We got a problem. The last time when she got sick before she was dying, I told my son, let's go. My son was like, why, mom? I let's go. She's going to get that gun. She's going to get that gun. I'm going to hurt her. I'm not playing with her. Not no more. You know, I ain't scared of that 38 no more. Wasn't scared of it then either. But the thing is, and the point that I'm trying to make when we talk about this is, like I said, children need love, they need support, and they need guidance. I was just watching the news the other day, and they were talking about a family that is mourning the death of a five-year-old who was shot in North Carolina. When this five-year-old was outside playing with his siblings and got shot by the neighbor, 
you know, and the kid was visiting the daddy. So the mother and the father apparently were separated. It was the father's time to visit with his son. The son go visit the, his father and his grandparent and get shot. So it's like, how can we protect our children from things of that nature? And then they said the father went over there and was going after the guy, but the guy and the father was apparently supposed to have been friends. How you going to be my friend and you just shot my five-year-old? Now I'm going to ask you, sit-up man, because you take care and you have your son often. How do you deal with something like that when you're trying to protect your child and yet your five-year-old child just got shot by your neighbor? Jeez. I I think that <clears throat> that kind of can, can go to – because there's some – obviously, like, you know, say the, the father was doing everything he could to keep his child protected at that time. I think this kind of thing comes back down to what our society is looking at as, as a whole, you know, um, the, the violence among other people, you know, not to mention everything going on with, with, with the police and everything. It's just, it's propagated so much on, on media, on television, through music, um, that, that, I, that more and more people are, are, you know, acting out in such ways. And, and like I was saying before, like if, like in, in, in countries that they experiment, you know, with, with no weapons and, and that are a lot more closely knitted in their communities. Um, I believe, you know, I'm not one to pull out statistics, but I believe the statistics do show that there's a lot less of those things going on. You know, there might be in those countries, people dying of, of medical needs or, you know, of, of disease and things like that at a higher rate. So I don't believe that the rate of violence, especially, you know, towards one another like that is as much. And, and I mean, we're, now we want to we want to change the future generations, and I mean, as this show is, is speaking about, that begins with with the, the children. And I mean, right now, and this is why I've I've always wanted to talk to children, especially ones that have, that are going through troubling times. Um, mm-hmm. and, and earlier is about what what are they being influenced by? And if you look around right now, you know what I don't think I was being this heavily influenced when I was a kid by the media and by you know Nintendo games and, and the music. Uh, right now. I've myself, well, I've made a lot of big changes the last five years. I've stopped watching the news. I've stopped watching TV shows. I've stopped listening to music, almost period, just because it's a constant nudge into your subconscious about, you know, what the most popular song on the radio right now, I think, is is, is WAP. And if, I mean, I won't get into it, but if anyone knows what that, that song is, like. Wait, wait, wait. I had bit. a woman ask me the other day that I hear Carney B's new song about the PUSSY. Exactly. I said, huh? I said, yeah, I know those things still, but I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if that's the same song you're talking about, but it's it, so it much is. stuff out there. And there's kids. Like, I'm I'm very active on different social media networks, and, and I see, like, kids, literally, probably 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, putting on short clothes and, and talking about and dancing to this song. And, you know, like, it's all fun and games and, and, and entertainment until that gets settled in someone's brain, and, and, and they take that to the next step and the next step and the next step. And, you know, those kind of things, whether we like to not, whether it's entertainment or not, they they are very, very influenced on people, and especially at a young age when they're so impressionable, um, it's, you're going to get influenced by it. Correct. And, you know, and when I was talking to the, the lady about that, that brought that to my attention about Carney B's song, and she was like, you know, I really wish that they would do more of trying to teach kids about politics, trying to educate kids, because... Kids are following them, and I and I had to let her know. I said, you know what? I heard that Carnaby kind of is very intelligent. She's very articulate, but her music sells. But then people do things for different reasons. So I mean, we can't just stereotype and judge. That's not what I do. But by that same token, like I told her, even with politics, you don't know the people behind the politicians, so you don't want to put all your faith and say that this person when you don't really know that either. But, yeah, we do need to encourage kids to get out and vote. We need to try to, you know, tell them things. We need to be honest. But I want to get back to the situation with that little boy, Cannon, that died. And it indicates that he was just riding his bicycle when the shooting took place on Sunday, hours after he attended church with his family. And they said that his father was inside the home. He heard the fatal gunshot. He went outside and ran towards his dying son. And when he saw his neighbor... He, he saw his neighbor, I guess, earlier walking around with a gun. He said, I have no idea why he will kill my son in front of two of his sisters. He indicated that he just scooped him up in his arms and held him and held him and screamed, somebody help me, please save my son. Save my son, please. 
And I was just like, wow. I couldn't even I, I, I couldn't even imagine. I, I just really couldn't imagine. And then I was watching something the other day, and the mayor of Georgia was seeing how she built something in front of the courthouse in regards there was a woman that caught her attention about children coming up missing. There's so many children that are missing that have been abducted. Sometimes we see it on Facebook, have you seen so-and-so? It's like who in the hell is kidnapping and abducting these children, even though in some cases most kids are abducted by someone that they know, in some cases, especially if the parents are not getting along. But then I was watching something. The guy sent me something from LinkedIn to watch his YouTube thing, and he was talking about pedophiles and individuals that have sex with children, and I had to let him know. And he was trying to make it political, but I was like, um, you forgot about human sex trafficking. That's a billion-dollar industry. Somebody's paying to have sex with these kids. That needs to stop. When we can tackle that, then maybe we can get to some of this other stuff that's happening with these kids sexually, and not to mention the kids that are being sexually assaulted in their own homes, sometimes by their siblings or their parents. Are they uncles and grandfathers? Some of that stuff, and, and sometimes by their mothers. So I'm not going to say that don't happen. So sometimes we minimize things when we're talking about protecting our children. And also, and I have you two on the air. I'm hoping that someone else call in. But sometimes we focus more on protecting our girls versus protecting our boys. I'm going to ask you, sit-up man, what is your thought in regards to that? Do you see that sometimes most people focus more on protecting their girls versus protecting their boys? I do believe that there is a definite definite prevailing chauvinistic viewpoint in our country today. We still view women as a fairer sex and men or boys as the strong, tough, burly ones. Just like you said, sexual predators, whether it was an uncle or a grandfather, why couldn't it be an aunt or a grandmother? Why isn't mm-hmm. it their sister? You know, mm-hmm. that's the chauvinistic view that a lot of us have, you know. And back to, like, what you were saying, protecting our kids and the shooting on Sunday, if I see somebody walking around my neighborhood with a gun, guess whose son's not going outside today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Call me crazy, but that's me protecting my son. You know, <laughs> these people walking around with a gun, my son's not going out today. You know, and mm-hmm. my son is right around that age, and if that were to happen, God forbid, to my son, I don't know what I would do. You know, I don't. I don't know how I would handle that and, you know, all the spirituality in the world and my connection, you know, being, through, being in recovery and all of that, I don't know what I would do. I don't. I know. You know that uh, that right there is a hard one. That was, you want to go find uh, Pookie and uh, Ray Ray and, and Tom Tom and everybody else. <laughs> like, oh, I ain't got to call nobody. You're my neighbor. You know, I figured the only I thing know. that protects you from me is if I can't find you. And you're right next door to me. So I have mm-hmm. all day to think about what I'm going to do to you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for me, I only have one child. And if something like that were to happen, I mean, I'm a good in orange jumpsuit. You know, I, I don't worry about things like that. Um, but back to what I was saying, you know, uh, the sexual trafficking and all that, when it comes to protecting our children, you know, social media is killing them. Social media, everything is normalized, you know. You can go on YouTube and look up whatever it is that you want. You know, I'm surprised at how adept my son is at seven years old at looking up things on YouTube. He doesn't even mm-hmm. have to know how to spell. He can just talk into it, and it'll find it for him. So, yes, you best believe I monitor when he's on his tablet. <laughs> Absolutely. We have to protect our children from themselves. Mm-hmm. You know? um, missing children, yeah, people are being lured out. You know, one of the number one hit shows was To Catch a Predator. Remember that mm-hmm. show? Oh, my God, that was the greatest show ever. They would lure those idiots out there to those houses, and they would just arrest them all. But that's a very Whatever. small percentage of the people that are being caught. I know, it is. But see, the thing is, and like you said, to catch a predator, that is a, a small percentage. I, and if you're talking about YouTube, Netflix, even before I did the show yesterday, I, I, on Sundays I get my, my binge on when I be Netflix binging, and I was watching this movie with something with blood or something, cold blood, something like that. I can't remember the name of it. But it was a young lady who, and I believe she was like Nigerian descent, 
and she was going to the school, and the person was her sister, and the stuff that was going on, they had sexuality, I mean, homosexuality going on, they had kids using drugs. They had so much going on on the show, but it was also human sex trafficking. And these kids trusted these adults. These kids trusted these people, and yet they were being human sex trafficking, and their parents were missing it. So these are not like the kids just were kidnapped. These kids are going home, coming back. It's like, how do you not know something's going on with your child? And sometimes we mistake it for, oh, they just going through their teenage stuff, or they just, you know, when you see a child slipping into depression, you know, what do you do? How do you go about getting your child some help? Those are things that we do need to protect our children for because they will become very defensive. But we still got to be there to give them some type of guidance. I agree. When, when these kids are on social media, when they're out there, do you really know who your kid is talking to? Do you no, really you don't. Know? Because like you said, no, you most and, kids and are not only by just, a friend. Correct. Not only just even with the social media and these chat rooms and all of this stuff, you just really need to be careful when they're playing them video games. Because even with those video games, sometimes they be connected with other people. I've had people tell me that they kids playing back then it was called Minecraft or something. And they was being bullied on Minecraft. And I'm like, how the hell you get bullied on a video game? But they will right. be connected. Because they're connected people. to the internet. Yes, because of the internet. And I mean and that doesn't mean that mm-hmm. there's not good information on the internet, but we do need to monitor what our children are being exposed to and we need to be honest with our children. Don't try to be their friend. Be honest with them. Have a conversation with them. And most importantly, listen to your child. Now, I mean, with if Rocky, most kids are abducted by people that they know, and I've been on the Internet for this long, I know this person in this chat room or I know this person on Facebook, and of course we could go meet at the liquor store or of course we could go meet over here at the park, and next thing you know, I'm in Vegas almost being sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now they didn't they done scared you, they done told you they go do something to your parents or they done did something. I tell my grandkids all the time, if anybody tell you don't tell your granny, tell your granny. If anybody say they go do something <laughs> to your family, don't believe them. Let me know. So I I tell them these things. I mean, and my granddaughter, she is so funny because she thinks, well, her granny go save the world. But by the, and I know I can't, but by that same token, I don't want my grandkids to think that they don't have no protection. I don't want them to think yeah. that nobody believe them. But like I tell them, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Let me deal with it. Now, one of the questions I have, and I'm quite sure a lot of individuals have explored this, is why do people hurt children? If children aren't supposed to be a gift from God, if children are supposed to be precious and value, vulnerable, I mean, vulnerable, and, and all, why do people hurt them? When we start talking about, you know, the physical, emotional, the sexual, also witnessing domestic violence, parental separation, divorce, a lot of things can happen to help a ch- hurt a child. But my question is, why do, and I'm going to start with you because um, I want to ask you first, sit up, man. Why do you think a lot of individuals do that? Um, I think, and this is just my thoughts on it, I think a lot of it has to do with the continuation of a cycle. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if I was raised this way, if I was taught this way, then I don't know any better. Like you started to show out with, if you knew better, you'd do better. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know no better, you know, like, for me, growing up, not only did I get right left it, I got hit with frying pans, I got hit with a broomstick, I got, you know what I mean? And had I have had a child at 17, 18, 19 years old, I may have been that parent. You know, uh-huh. I may have been that parent. But me personally, I didn't have my child until I was a lot later in life, you know. And me personally, I do the exact opposite of what my parents did. You know, I tell uh-huh. my son I love him maybe 100 times a day. I give him 5,000 hugs. Kisses all day long. He probably gets tired of me, but I don't care. As long as he knows at the end of the day that I love him, you know. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it's the can uh, the continuation of a cycle. You know, mm-hmm. it's ignorance, not knowing any better. I think that's the number one reason. And then some people they're just sick. You know, they and when I say sick, you know they they are physically attracted to children or they're sadistic like that way towards children, you know, and they can't help themselves. And, you know, and that's interesting because that is so true in some cases because there's no way of really saying why people do certain things. And when you said that stuff about the frying pan, I want to tell you, I bet you never had a crutch thrown at your head. <laughs> you know, but I've had one My mother me several times. gave me a whooping one time for something that I didn't believe I should have got a whooping for. Because my mother told me I was crying. I got a man because she told me I can go to a sleepover. But then she told me I had to take my sister. I agreed to all of her terms. Instead of her saying, Jeanette, I'm concerned because kids get molested, these things happen, my mother never had that talk with me. So she just straight out told me, after she told me I can go, she told me no. And I got mad. So I'm ironing my clothes, and I start crying. So she said, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Okay. So now you're going to give me something to cry about. So as I was ironing, I got by the ironing board, bumped the ironing board so the iron could fall on her foot. So when I fell on her foot, it was I didn't believe that she was going to be off of work for two weeks. Then I had to send it over to her. Oh, I was mad at myself for that. So then she sent me to a place to go get her a chili relino, a chili relino. And I said, mm-hmm. well, can I buy me a jumbo jack? She said, yes. Would you get the change, buy me, you can buy a jumbo jack with the change from the chili relino. You know me. I went and bought the jumbo jack first. So when I went and bought the jumbo jack, I didn't have enough money for the chili relino. So I bought her some kind of chili verde burrito or something I bought her. Lord, when my mama opened up that thing and saw she didn't have no chili relino, and I bought her what I, what I wanted to buy her, the next thing I know, I'm in that kitchen. My mama threw that crutch and hit me dead. It didn't hit me, but it went right by my head and got stuck in the wall. That's when I knew that woman was crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's going to crutch you. So, when we start talking about understanding child abuse, why some people hurt children, there's no simple answer that will explain why some parents abuse children. And as many things, there are factors that can lead to abuse, which is complex. And sometimes it kind of go into each other, like you said. Sometimes it's a generational thing. And what increases a person's risk of abusing a child is something that we need to look at. And this is coming from Healthline.com. And because sometimes individuals are more prone to being abusive. One, a history of child abuse or neglect during their own childhood. Having a substance abuse or use disorder. Physical or mental health conditions such as depression, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder. Poor parent-child relationship. Social economic stress from financial issues, unemployment, or medical problems. And that is an issue today especially as we're dealing with COVID, lack of understanding about basic childhood development, meaning expecting children to be capable of tasks before they're ready, which is another thing, and a lack of parenting skills to help cope with pressures, struggles of raising a child, lack of support from family members, friends, neighbors, or community, and caring for a child with intellectual or physical disabilities that make adequate care more challenging. You know, um, and I want to say to you guys, we're dealing with a lot of children now that are artistic or have a learning disability. And some parents are dealing with parental guilt, and they don't know how to address some of these issues and things because, number one, many don't trust the doctors. They don't trust the information they're given. Sometimes parents are in denial. Sometimes parents feel like it's their fault. But I would say tap into your resources, and that could help. Even trying to get some type of respite before you get ready to lose it, you know, and because that one, that one is big. So I'm going to ask you, Rocky, with some of the things that I just named off. But what about the physical disability? Because it sounds like you was a very articulate child, which was a challenge for your parents, like I was. 
what if what about some of the kids that have um developmental issues or disabilities? Yeah, definitely. So um I can I can actually bring up a story that when I was, you know, in my facilities, um there was a, a kid that I'm not sure exactly what the disability was. I mean, it was obvious that he wasn't able to communicate, you know, the things he wanted to communicate. And he wound himself up there in this, you know, basically prison for kids that I was in. Um, He was there for almost two years. And it was a simple um, disagreement between his parents. And um, his mom was basically trying to hide him from the father and didn't want to take care of him. So she sent him, they had a little bit of money. So they sent him to this facility. And, um, and when he talked to us, you know, the kids, like we would understand what's going on, and then we would listen to him try to articulate that well, we had we had these case managers and, and quote unquote family fathers that, you know, would basically relay our information because we weren't allowed to contact the outside world or contact our parents during that time. Um, and he couldn't ever get it out, you know, that hey, if someone could just you know give my dad a call who has you know legally rightful you know, I guess you know authority over me as well. Um, I would be able to, you know, get help and, you know, possibly leave. Um, See, I think it's a huge thing. I mean, and and, and those kids, uh, and even as adults, you know, they're going to get looked over many times, and and that's that's not something we need to do or just start practicing because regardless of your disability, of of your color, of your age, of your ethnicity, of your, you know, sex or anything, like each of us are humans, you know, as I was saying before, and we all deserve our own voice and our own freedom and our own, you know, like you were saying before as well, love and care and guidance. Mm-hmm. And kids that are have a disability or kids that are very um, intellectual, they do run into those barriers because parents get frustrated. My mother always thought, you think you're smarter than everybody else. You, hell, I pretty much was, you know. But by that same token, I would allow her to do whatever she wanted to do to me either. Now, adults who are abusing children may also show certain signs of behavior, such as ignoring or denying a child's problematic behavior, changes or difficulties. They use language that shows they the view of the child as worthless or burdensome. See, when we start talking about protecting our children, we have to protect, protect our children from name-calling, too. And demanding physical or academic performances that aren't achievable by their child, that's another biggie, Asking teachers or caregivers to use harsh punishment if the child misbehaves, show rarely showing physical affection to children, which sit up man, that's glad I'm glad that you do that with your son to let him know that he is a love because a lot of children don't know that. And showing hostility to a child, especially in light of bad behavior, and displaying little concern for their child. See, these are things that some parents are not even aware that they're even doing. So they have to be made mindful of that. And sometimes, and you know, and I've seen things on YouTube where individuals were trying to stop a parent from abusing their child and how sometimes that can turn into a big shebang. Now, Rocky, you talked about being in the facility, but I may have missed, how did you wind up there? Okay, so um, that was definitely my doing. (laughs) Basically, uh, (laughs) I I was 11, 12, I think the first time I went to Mexico and the facility, and I had basically snuck my parents, my dad's car out, and I got in the habit of doing this and just going on joy drives and going to Taco Bell and getting food and stuff. And this particular time that I had done that, uh, we were pulled over, and I was a large, you know, 11-year-old. I looked like I was 16, um, but the police officers in the small town in Mississippi that we were in actually knew my parents, so um, and they knew I wasn't of age. Um, so, you know, they called them the next day. I was supposed to be going to tennis camp in Louisiana, and instead, you know, I was on a, on a plane on the way to Mexico. That's basically how I wound up my day the first time. So you were still, you know what, Rocky, you sound like my type of kid. You still in cars going to Taco Bell. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. All right. So they didn't know what to do, so they were going to teach you a lesson. And then teaching you that lesson made you learn also more skills of how to be more, getting in more trouble when you start exposing kids to certain situations. So I... Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know anything. Like, I never drank or smoked or anything like that at that time. When I got there, I really got made fun of a lot. And they were like, what are you you here for? Like, you didn't, you haven't even, you haven't even done anything. You know, like, what are you... 
what are you actually doing here? And um, so like I started learning from the kids who were there, you know, and there was all kind of variety of kids from, from, you know, 13 or 12 to 18. At 18, it was, a, it was the day that they have to release you if you're not, you know, graduate the program by then. Um, so, you know, like uh, at that at that point, like there's gangbangers, there's, you know, the kid I gave the, the example of earlier who just literally was there because of the dispute between the mom and dad, um, everything from drugs to alcohol to depression to suicide. And um, I, I learned a lot. Um, I was, I don't think anything I've learned helped me at that age, but as an adult looking back and, and going through those experiences, I, you know, I definitely, I definitely can see the value in it, not in the program that I went to, but in the experience in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, because the thing is, even with the program, a lot of times we have to restructure and we have to redesign how we do things. And as you were speaking about that, I was thinking of the first time when I got in trouble, I was 17 and I, um, like, beat a woman with a bumper jack, um, tire iron. I don't know how the tire iron got in my hand, allegedly, but um, I was told that she had jumped on my grandmother, and I thought, well, what was I supposed to do? And I'll never forget they arrested me, my mother, and my grandmother and said we were three generations of gang members, which I'd never been in a gang. But I knew then where my parents had taught me violence, taught me how to fight, always had me around guns, and I saw where that was leading in regards to the outcome which they may have thought that they were doing this for me to protect myself. They didn't realize that it was not healthy mentally and damaging. But I remember that night when when we all got in trouble, they didn't, the police officer, thank God, he wasn't, you know, molesting children. But that man drove me in a car for three hours, just driving me in circles, and I, at 17, looked like I was in my 30s because I was always well-proportioned. But he felt that those kids would be detrimental to me, not realizing I probably would have beat the hell out of them kids. I fight grown folks. They just kids, you know. But he didn't know. And I was a straight-A student. I was a drum majorette. I was class president. I think what helped me a lot was my academics and the part that I was smart but I realized when I became an adult, they really did not do a lot or they did the best they could with what they thought was protection. So that's the purpose of the show today is are we failing our children with some of the things we think we're protecting them from? So I'm going to ask you, sit up, man. Do you think that as an adult, in some ways, we're failing our children? Absolutely. Um, I work for the county. I am a social worker, and I see every day where, as a society, we are failing our children. Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily a purposeful thing. It's not willful neglect. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, I'm not going to feed you, so you just take that. It's more more like your situation. Most people don't know that just because I'm in another room arguing with my wife that my child can still hear that. That's emotional Mm -hmm. abuse. Most people don't know that this child seeing violence, me carrying a gun every day, me going out selling drugs on the corner, teaching my son that that's okay, that that's abuse, that's neglect. So I think as as a society as a whole, yes, we are absolutely failing our children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, and like I said, and a lot of individuals, some parents feel guilty, and it's not to make them feel guilty. It goes back to, like I said earlier, when you know better, you do better. And it's utilizing your resources, breaking the generational curse, finding ways of listening to your child in regards to what they need, setting boundaries, maintaining and developing healthy relationships, restoring wounded relationship. Now, I'm not saying when I say restore relationship, I'm not saying restore a relationship with a father that has molested his daughter. I'm not saying that because that father needs some help. And in some cases when we, I've seen these situations with fathers that have molested the daughters and the mothers don't want to leave the fathers, you know, that family needs some help. And one of the things that I know that they were doing in San Diego County is they were doing and utilizing what's called a CANS assessment. 
And the CANS assessment was a way of finding resources to help the family because it's a whole family and society issue. And sometimes people run into the church. Run into the church is not going to save just save your family automatically because sometimes you might run into people in the church that have issues where they are hurting children. You know, a lot of parents depend on coaches. You know, they want to put their kid on the football team or the basketball team, and you got to be mindful of that too. You have to know who your child is around and who's exposing things to your children. I tell parents, even as a therapist, I know my therapy style is different. So when I get calls from parents and they want to send their kids to me, I'm like, you might not want your child to learn this from me. These are things you may have to teach your child. You, <laughs> you know, you know, you know me, sit up, man, and know me. When I'm getting these calls, these parents, I don't think you want your child talking to me because it may conflict with some of you may be telling your child, and I'm gonna tell your child the truth from my perspective, and you gonna get mad at me. So I'm very honest about that. I don't bite around, beat around the bush with that because if the child has difficulties with and being defiant or you know opposition or act out, oh, I love the, I love working with children like that because I can understand, I can speak their language. But we gotta be careful. Gotta be careful. Now you laughing, sit up, man. What you laughing about? Well, for your audience. I've worked with, with you for four years. You know, I was a counselor and you were the therapist. And when you say somebody send their child to you, and you're a great therapist. Make no mistake about it. <laughs> but you're not talking to my child. So. <laughs> not my child. <laughs> now, some children can benefit from you. Make no mistake. Some of them can. I know Right. 
protect, protecting other, our children and others. Right, and I okay. get it. You know, we've been locked in the house right now for the last past four months, and we're tired of being up in each other's face. You know what I mean? Right now for the county, do you know what the number one uh, complaint is? Domestic violence. Yeah, domestic violence. Oh, my goodness. That means I'm tired of you being in my face, woman. Or are you tired, <laughs> you tired of me having you, you tired of having me in your face? and alcohol use is rampant. Yes. Rampant. But that is the number one police call, domestic violence. That means we're tired, so we want our kids to go back to school. But at what cost? I know. At what cost? I'm not willing to put my kids' health at risk. I'm not. And that's just me. You know, I'm sure there's other parents that feel that way. But like I say, what I'm hearing is a lot of teachers that have been out of work that aren't willing to put themselves at risk are willing to take on small groups, you know, Mm -hmm. 10, 15 kids, socially distance them in a garage and teach, you know. Mm -hmm. We have to get our kids to do things. Huh? No, that's it, Rocky. Rocky, what is your take on that? I, I agree 100%. I mean, I just, I, I think, I, I hate the fact that we've all been locked down right now, but I mean, even so, like, I guess this is kind of like pretty personal. Like with my parents, I, I grew up seeing um, a fair amount of violence in the house as well. And as COVID was happening, um, my parents, we have two houses and they rented out one of the other ones and they moved together. And at first I was like, oh, it's like, you know, it's a pretty great thing. And then I started thinking like, you know, with them being there that close, you know, I, I just hope that there's not any kind of, you know, violence like that from the past going on. So it's, we live, we're in a different, like, of the crazy world. So, like, it's um, it's actually quite scary for me to even think about that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we got a few more minutes left in the show. And I, you know what? I told one of the ladies I was going to read what she wrote. So let me find what she wrote because she wanted to call in on the show in regards to protecting our children and I didn't get a chance to read it, so let me find what she said because it was very, very interesting. And then I want to take the end of the show to talk about when I indicated more of the outcome because when we start talking about protecting our children, there is an outcome. There is a price that we pay when we hurt our children because her children will grow up and start hurting other people, and that is really not what we want. And when I asked the question in regards to if we failed our children, and she said, um, her name is Nancy, she said, yes, we failed them. And she said she wasn't going to be able to call in on the show, but she commented on something. I can't even find her comment. And she was talking about ways that we did fail our children. Lord, mercy, now I can't even find it. Let's see if I put it in, she put it in Messenger. But I want to go into, oh, here it is. Okay, this is what she said. She said, um, during this time, our children need us the most. With COVID, they have slipped through the cracks, no graduations, no prom, no grad night. Grad night. Um, funding for school is low. Parents are in fear to send their children back to school because children will not keep a mask on their face, and children should could be as parents of two children, it would be harder to raise them as dealing with this disease. So I told her that I would share. But I also want to say we talked about the outcome. You know, and I learned my parents did the best they could with what they had. I don't blame my parents for some of the things that happened, but I will say that part of my upbringing is what made me to become the woman that I am today. And a lot of things I didn't see in this journey, I just thank God I survived to being a therapist, to being a business owner, to being a co-author, to doing some of the things that I am today. Um, Sit up, man. What would you like to say in regards to your outcome? Um, I think I'm more the survivor than the product. You know what I mean? Because when I say that, victims blame everything. You know, I'm this way because you did that. I'm this way because you did that. Survivors are this way in spite of. You know, and I think that the more we protect our children, the more that they will be survivors. They're going to be who they're going to be and more well-rounded people. I think that's the outcome of protecting our children. Um, Rocky, what would you say in regard to your outcome? Because you've indicated, and what about your outcome? Yeah, um, that's a 
I guess, I mean, in my sense, I'm a survivor of it as well. Um, we actually call ourselves as, as a group on, on Facebook, like, you know, survivors of everything as well. And, and um, as uh, Sit Up Man was saying about how, you know, not wanting to, like, be, become like a victim, the victim mentality, uh, you know, there's a lot of people I know that, that just um, are in really bad places. And, you know, it's I know what they've been through, so I can't tell them that they're, they're going, they're thinking about it wrong, but at the same time, you know, there is another another hand when you can say, hey, you know, everything that, that happened, I can take that, I can overcome it, and I can use it to, you know, make my best life and, and better my life even further. Um, and that's the, that's, the, that's the mindset that I think I choose, you know, to, to place within me versus any kind of, like, you know, victimization or, or blame or anything like that. Correct. And I want to say also, because we talked about all three of us being survivors, and there are some individuals, there are some children that are still out there struggling. There are some children that are hurting. There are some children that are lost. There are some children that are in pain. So I'm not minimizing that. But if you or someone in the community see a child that may be suffering with depression, that may be um, hungry, that may be needing you, don't be afraid to reach out and help. And if you find that someone you know or a child is dealing with suicidal thoughts, don't minimize their feelings, but get them some help because suicide is real because we have children committing suicide at a very, very young age, and many of those children feel that no one cares and that that's their only way out. So we, again, have to let them know that we play a very valuable role in their lives as well as their outcome, and we don't want to see no child left behind, nor do we want to have to bury nobody's child, and especially for something like suicide. So call 211, utilize your insurance, utilize your EAP, utilize your community resources, whatever is out there that is available. But let's do better with protecting our children. So I want to thank you for joining me here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. Tomorrow I will be talking about unbelief because a lot of individuals, no matter what we're going through, people still don't want to believe this stuff is real. So if you want to join the show or you want to call in, give me a call, 516-387-1914. And until then, remember, you got this. Thank you, sit-up man. Thank you, Rocky. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. 6 a.m. tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye.